a better future podcast, building a better future, one change at a time. Hello, hello everybody. Nice to see you. Got a uh, special guest with us today and Dawn has also returned. And just to confuse everyone, it's uh, another Dawn with us tonight. (laughs) So how should we refer to you both? We've got Dawny P and Dawny R. (laughs) Sounds good. Perfect. I'm happy with that. (laughs) Obviously, Jay is here as well. Yeah, you can call me Dawny Jay. Dawny Jay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make it nice and easy for everybody. Uh, we're doing a, an episode today about outdoors as it's spring and all we can currently do in the UK still pretty much is go outdoors. So I thought it'd be a good thing to sort of combine a little bit of what we can do to be sort of sharing our spaces and things we can do in our gardens to help with climate change and, and wildlife. So um, shall we start with Dawny R and the outdoor spaces? And birds, I thought we'd start with the birds because that's something that um, ties in with my world because being a dog trainer, it's something we're sort of encouraging people to be aware of. And it's certainly something that wasn't on my radar and considering I am outdoorsy, into dogs, into wildlife. um, When I learned about this a few years ago, I was like, oh oh God, of course, of course we need to be aware of this. Um, So, I'm going to let you take the lead here, Dawn, and tell us a little bit about what I'm talking okay, about. Thank you, Corin. So <laughs> my um, specialism is working as a ranger down in the New Forest National Park. And um, it's really important habitat down there for a stupid type of bird, really, that hasn't got a <laughs> hasn't got a great idea about how to how to do well because instead of nesting in trees it, it nests on the ground and um, there, there's a whole um, suite of, of birds that um, we generally record, refer to as ground nesting birds of course that makes them horrendously vulnerable to disturbance because they can be trampled um, they can you know just people going past them can make the birds fly up and obviously Um, And I'm a dog owner myself. I've got a a loony cocker spaniel who um, nearly (laughs) broke Corin and Steve when I took him to dog training. (laughs) Certainly (laughs) broken me. Um, But he's a ground nesting bird's worst nightmare because he's basically pre-built to get down and root around and basically flush up birds. So birds that you might think of um, in terms of game birds, things like pheasants and um, partridges, they're, they're ground nesters. Um, and um, mm-hmm. But from a conservation, sort of a, as a ranger type of person, um, the things that I really worry about, I, I guess, are our, our native species, such as um, there is a whole suite of them. There's um, night jars, which are an amazing, amazing bird that um, they they do come out at night and they do an amazing flap of their wings, like a wing smack, they're they're an amazing bird to see. Um, We've got tiny little brown jobs, which are like things like woodlark and again, skylark, which a lot of people are familiar with flying up and making that lovely song. The reason um, Mm -hmm. the adults are doing that is to try and dissuade, you know, and, and kind of distract predators away from their nests, which are on the ground. Um, and a lot of the waders breed on the ground, so things like um, woodcock, snipe, curlew, who have a really 
quite impressive, long beak, very large bird, and also a really eerie call. There are kind of primary birds that we're, we're really worried about from a conservation point of view. And the, the, one of the reasons um, they're doubly kind of at risk is that they, they tend to live on lowland heaths, which are one of the rarest habitats um, in the UK and across Europe. In fact, the New Forest is probably one of the largest areas there. So, I mean, that's where I'm coming from in terms of what mm -hmm. people can do. Um, yeah. Obviously, with things starting, people want to get out and enjoy it. And I fully appreciate that. I'm an outdoors person, obviously, with my job and obviously want to get Cooper out and about. But obviously, the more people heading for these sort of these sort of rare habitats and the, in our, our conservation spaces, green spaces, the more risk there is of these birds um, being disturbed. And um, I'm spending a lot of time now working with things like Forestry England, trying to get the message out to people that it's fine to visit, you know, you can enjoy the new forest, you can see the birds, but um, actually although I called them stupid earlier, actually they're quite adaptable. If you um, stick to main tracks, they know actually, you know, that they're, they're kind of pre-programmed just to sit tight um, as long as possible. So they get used to people just going back and forth the main, the main tracks. It's when people start wandering off and, and going off tiny little pon pony tracks and things like that, that's, that's when those birds mm -hmm. and things. And also keeping their dogs on the tracks as well, because that's the other thing that we suffer with is that people walk on the tracks that, you know, that their spaniels and various other dogs are kind of quartering through the heather, lifting mm -hmm. up those birds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely something uh, um, I've become aware of. I, I quite often do a little hashtag on my Instagram when I'm out with my dogs in the forest or somewhere and it will be sharing spaces because I think, you know, we don't have the right to be trampling through the new forest like that. So it's about sharing those spaces. And I, I think that's quite a nice way of thinking of it. Uh, skylarks, I'm, I'm, I know of those ones because they are on one of our regular walks, actually. And we call them techno birds, actually, because of their song. Because <laughs> they, when they're up in the air, they definitely, it's quite a song, isn't it? They're, it is. I had my first one in the New Forest about two weeks ago, and it's a real a real sign of spring. And it takes me right back. You know how um, everyone tends to have a, a kind of a pivotal moment when something really connects with them. And I remember actually coming across a skylark nest um, as a small child on my on my mum's allotment. Um, she used to pick me up from school and we used to, you know, she used to be in her allotment and I used to be wandering wild around the allotment and I found a skylark's nest. So, you know, hearing a skylark wow. every year is a real, a real kind of touch to oh. my past. I've got a real mm. soft spot for oh, them. That's lovely. That's lovely. Wonderful. That, um, one of the things that we're aware of uh, where I am, so I'm uh, this side of Southampton, um, looking after green spaces, along with colleagues who look after coastal spaces as well. And actually, that's a real issue at this time of year as well, with not just nesting birds, but actually if they're, when they're feeding through the winter. So if you've got people and dogs who are disturbing flocks of, of, of wading birds or, or our geese, uh, on coastal sites you know that uses up a huge amount of energy every time you see a big group of birds fly up they're using up energy stores um so yeah it's just trying to be really really mindful and and 
trying to find ways to convey to people that those spaces aren't ours we can go and enjoy them and gain all those amazing physical and mental health well-being benefits by visiting those spaces but they're not they're not ours to use and that's quite a quite a nuanced kind of message so that's Mm -hmm. been what we're trying to work through at the minute as lots more people through this last year particularly have really connected with their local green space and you know want to get out it's not just the fact that it's the only thing that people can do actually people are finding they want to get out and explore a bit more and and connect so yeah that messaging's quite quite tricky sometimes um but really really vital and yeah there's a couple of things Corinne on the on the connecting to nature there's been some research taking place recently um and they've shown that the two things that increase people's connection to nature the most from a kind of a baseline of of not being very connected to nature and therefore most likely to prompt people taking pro-environmental actions are actually planting wildflowers Mm -hmm. and then seeing uh you know the invertebrates and things that then visit those and feeding feeding wildlife mainly feeding birds and it's that kind of instant connection and that instant kind of um, win from mm-hmm. a, a, an action that you've done has a really, really big um, positive effect, which I found was really fascinating because often we're trying to find lots of different ways to connect people to nature. You know, oh, how can we be more inventive? How can we be, you know, um, a bit more creative about these things? And actually, mm-hmm. The two things that they're now showing that really, really work are, yeah, feeding the birds in your in your garden or your local patch, and yeah, and doing some planting, simple packet of seeds that really doesn't cost very much, and even a small space window box container, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be, planter at work, you know, workspaces as well as home. Yeah, sure. I thought that was I thought that was really, yeah. really, um, really make, powerful. They make it nice and easy for people now as well, don't they? They sell like wild seed bombs and like bee bombs and things like that. I, j- I literally got some for Christmas uh, and uh, I just put them out in the garden the other day, actually, now that it's March. And I was, uh, I was thinking, yeah, it's a good time. Penny decided to eat one of they like they're covered in like clay and whatever else that dogs obviously love. Um, so she started eating one. I was like, okay, you can't go in here until they've dissolved now. <laughs> because I'm trying, I've tried to section off a bit of the garden just to be for wildflowers. So Peach doesn't go in there at all because she's too big and will trample on it all. But Penny can kind of, you know, she's so light, it doesn't really make a difference. You started to touch upon the thing I was thinking about was, you know there's it's this huge opportunity that there's all these people who would have maybe driven past their local nature reserve or just rough bit of land that's been been left and how you get them from being someone who's now just walking through every now and then or walking the dog or jogging or into someone who feels that there's a sense of ownership of it not in the sense of this is mine I can do what I want but in the Mm. sense of you know, I feel a sense of responsibility for it. And mm. yeah, I think, you know, Dawn, you mentioned about bird feeders and things like that, but it's, um, I mean, even the project that um, Dawn R was talking about with the um, dogs and things that you, you know, you've got people who have, are sort of volunteering to help out with even talking to dog, dog owners and things. So there's, there's people 
I think it's interesting to know what made them go from being someone that just uses a site to being someone who wants to kind of look after it. Reading off that, one of the things I find most interesting is obviously as a, as a ranger um, and somebody interested in conservation, um, I often see this assumption with other conservationists that dog walkers are only interested in dogs and they're there, you know, it's like, oh, them dog walkers, mm. blah, blah, blah. And actually most of the dog walkers and, and dog owners that I know are equally um, lovers of conservation. There isn't this, this big dividing line which, which you do hear of from, from both scales. And I think sometimes people not being engaged is because there's almost been an assumption they don't want to be engaged. It's like, if you've got a mm. dog, you don't care about the wildlife. It's like, well, no, actually, the where I try and come from is, is dog owners, you know, might potentially be doing damage to the wildlife. But in most cases, that, that's just because they don't realise it, it's a, an ignorance mm. thing. It's, you know, like Horan was saying, you know, not knowing about the ground nesting bird, you know, the number of times I hear people sort of say, oh, yeah, my dog chases the birds, but it never catches them. And, and, and to them, it's that end result of a dog killing a bird is bad. But a dog just chasing a bird, there's, there's no, they don't understand the connections. And actually having those conversations with people and, and not putting up that barrier, um, I, I think it's a big thing. And it's really nice to, to be able to bridge that gap because I see it, as I say, definitely on both sides. I have people in the conservation sector, you know, that I, I deal with that basically go, oh, well, you know, Dawn's just all pro-dog and she wants dogs running all over the new forest. And it's like, well, no, I'm not saying that either, but just because you've got a dog doesn't mean you don't care, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's the same across all different things, mm. isn't it? There's this, we're mm. in this weird period of time where everyone's trying to kind of pigeonhole people and it, make it of this kind of blue and red, versus red kind of thing isn't it but mm. I mean even mm. like with cycling I've seen it before where the people go oh you know cyclists versus cars and then you look into mm. you know the members of um the, the various different cycling charities and they did a survey and, and it was over 70 percent of them all had driving licenses and mm -hmm. yeah. and it, it, it's kind of they're just the same it's just mm. people whether they're in a car or if they're not and if they're mm. walking through a nature reserve they're they're starting to engage with that location some people are some people everyone thinks differently so you know there's different ways to get through to people some sometimes it's as easy as just telling someone them not being aware and them going oh geez yeah of course i do something about that sometimes that doesn't quite do it but that doesn't mean that they're not prepared or willing to change it just means that we haven't found the right way to make it resonate with them yeah. and sometimes that means we have to think outside the box but uh, that can be challenging at times like there's no doubt about that you know my job certainly brings up those challenges where you know those th are the reasons why I do something that might not be the reason why someone else does something so then it just makes mm. them go okay well what is it that make will make you or at least make you think about it and then perhaps mm. at some point change your ways yeah it's an interesting thing jay that you were talking about because i've i've we used to use the phrase sense of ownership a lot particularly with talk about forest school and participants in forest school and outdoor ed and i've changed it to the sense of stewardship because i think that is actually a better phrase for what we mean mm -hmm. because actually it's the fact that you are invested in that space and that you want to look after it so you know i'm sure dawn will probably echo 
this with her ranger hat on <laughs> is that when you're managing green spaces you will have a handful of people who have a sense of entitlement who think they can do what they like because they always have done you have a huge swathe of people who will just do what you're asking them to and they're completely invisible because they just get on and do the things that you're asking them to do they stay on the paths and they shut gates and they pick up after their dogs and all of those things and then you have those people who want to find out a little bit more and I speak to people out on site all day and just in the last week I've had three people that I probably I don't know I probably see two or three times a week maximum have stopped and asked me about volunteering and how would they get more involved in looking after our space and it can sometimes just be quite a long process to, to for people to realize that actually there is people involved in looking after that what looks like a big green empty space that actually takes quite a lot of resourcing and quite a lot of um, labor and time so yeah it's um for us dog walkers um you know i come from a dog owning family i don't own a dog myself but i know all of the dogs names that visit um visit the reserve i don't know people's names very often yeah. so i don't know all of the dogs yeah and that's because i want dog walkers to feel one to feel welcome and then if they feel welcome they're more likely to hear the messages that we're asking them to to hear you know obviously we've got more and more people and there's been so much in the media you know blue planet all sorts well there seems to be a new Attenborough show every three months at the moment <laughs> it's kind of keep, keeping everyone busy while they're in lockdown but does it feel like there's more and more people coming forward to to get involved in their local areas does it feel like a a positive thing at the moment I mean it's difficult to support volunteering with with a lockdown so maybe it would be yeah. when it comes out of it. I think I think that's it. I think once things lift and we can actually, because I've had people literally sitting in my email inbox who asked me last March and I haven't been able to recruit anybody because it's been so patchy in, yeah. in, in when we've been able to have people out on site. Um, so I am expecting actually, I, I'm, I'm going to be putting out a, a, a new role, someone to literally do that job, public engagement on the site um as soon as i'm allowed to hopefully next <laughs> week and um i'm really hoping that people will, will will come and see the value in that um i i still think we're probably seeing at least half of the people on site and we are much much busier than we normally be um are new to us and are actually a large proportion of those people are new to visiting the countryside it's very muddy where I work, so I can usually tell the people who aren't <laughs> used to being out in the countryside by the state of their shoes and the state of their really sad faces. Yeah, really sad faces when they get back. <laughs> and I do a lot of, oh, there's a boot scraper here, or there's a little tap there if you've got any, you know, a brush or a paper towel or a carrier bag sort of thing. So, um, yes, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how many more people will want to actively be involved, particularly when you know all of those people may have the option to go back to doing all the things that they used to love doing um it's going to be an interesting summer i think yeah but i mean we've talked before about you know how much doing positive things around the environment can be a kind of mental healer um you know i i do it i go out litter picking when i'm feeling a bit down I go and do a bit of litter picking because it kind of i feel like i'm doing something positive even if it's just filling a bag of rubbish up um mm -hmm. but 
it's... Sometimes you're forced to do it because I see people dump outside your field. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's quite annoying. Yeah, it's whether some people might have used being in nature as part of their way of coping. And they might find that, you know, they go back to work and they might think, actually, I want to change my career. Now I'm back from furlough or I, you know, I want to carry on some of those behaviours where I found it quite helpful to get through stressful times to be out and about. And I so. had that conversation with someone the other day. They, um, they've started a new business, which will mean they don't have to go back into an office and, they, and they've been enjoying more time with their dog. And they certainly have said that they haven't applied for any office jobs because they couldn't bear the thought of it. So I think I, I definitely think there's going to be some changes for people and in, in regards to outdoors. And hopefully that's positive. I just wanted to quickly, um, Dawn, uh, a few uh, minutes ago, talked about the coast as well. And I remember a, a, um, an article in the news a little while ago about people taking the pampas grass <laughs> home with them to plant in their gardens, and they actually had a problem with it. So people were taking the plants from the wild to take home for their gardens, um, which was causing a problem because the pampas grass is there for a reason. So. Uh, I, and I know firsthand my mother, who doesn't listen to the podcast, that's so okay, I can talk about her, <laughs> has definitely been like, oh, that looks nice, I might take that back. And I'm like, no, no, you can't. And she said that to Nat before, and Nat's like, no, no, you can't. And mom's like, oh, okay, doesn't know. Again, doesn't know. Even when she mm. does know, though, I'm not sure how much she's listening. But, <laughs> you know, why is it that, that people shouldn't be... Um, taking digging up or you know releasing a plant from out in the wild to to take home in their garden what should they do instead does anybody have an answer for oh that? that's quite a that's quite a interesting one so there's um something I think about quite often because I'm now getting a bit older as we do when I was a little kid um, my grandparents lived on a farm in a really small village in Sussex you literally could walk um on a path between there and the large village I grew up in and every single bank was completely covered in primroses right um but not to the same extent as when my dad used to do that walk when he was a kid because basically people used to pick primroses for mother's day it's coming up isn't it this Sunday mm -hmm. and you know the kids would go out and they'd pick bunches of primroses for, for mothering Sunday or people would dig up the primrose plants uh, and put them in their gardens and actually if you now look around you there's very, very few places you can see that sort of carpet of primroses mm -hmm. in the spring. And it really has an impact. So, you know, we do need to be mindful of, of that. Now, often, and I'm sure Dawn will, will have examples of this as well, you know, you might get uh, a patch of something that is locally abundant, i.e. it looks like there's lots of them, in that particular space but they might be then rare or you know it might be a protected species under the wildlife and countryside act you know so there's all kinds of reasons why you just wouldn't just go and dig up plants um you know from the world the flip side of that is you also don't go and release stuff from your garden into the wild mm -hmm. you know you don't um go and plant non-native things in the wrong place you don't go and plant trees in random places 
um you don't bring me your frog spawn or your baby i don't want them in my pond because i don't know what diseases and things they might carry or non-native plants that might be on them so you know this comes back down to my job as an educator is is helping people understand that you know and luckily some people come to the reserve and they'll say can i give you my frog spawn and i'll say i'll talk to them about why why i can't accept it mm-hmm. hundreds of other people probably come and give us our frog spawn and i can't police the site 24 7 sure. but it's that's it's that slow drip feed and that slow you know constant conversations about how are we better stewards of those spaces how can we mm-hmm. be more mindful of our impacts you know even down to things you mentioned bee bombs and wildflower seeds great absolutely wonderful particularly in cultivated patches mm-hmm. so if that's your garden or a window box or you know an allotment even but you know we don't want people just going and chucking them out of car windows sure. because actually even if it's a native mix of wildflowers that particular verge or that particular field boundary might have very um, specific species in it that will then get out competed very quickly and then we lose all of that richness and okay. biodiversity so it's quite complicated and I think one of the things I struggle with personally and also as a sector is getting across that nuanced message every time because there isn't it isn't it isn't as easy saying great plant see you know plant these seeds for your pollinators let's have lots of those or let's go and plant a load of trees it really isn't as simple as that mm-hmm. uh, and that then gets it then gets harder to kind of you know get people excited and enthused mm-hmm. so I don't know if Dawn, Dawn you've got any thoughts on yeah it's very interesting actually because um that like we touched on earlier that planting of something is a very easy way to get people to connect and I think I mean I'm in my late 40s now and I, I've certainly been growing up since school with the plant a tree kind of thing as being a really really positive thing and actually when you go on to sort of lowland heath sites the last thing we want is loads of trees um and quite often um restoration work on heathland sites includes removing a lot of self-seeded trees and saplings and trees in areas where um, it's been neglected because ultimately um things want to return to being um you know sort of a sort of semi-natural natural woodland um and um it's only through kind of man's interference and large grazing animals that have kept these heathland um, areas open. And um, now we've got so few of them, as I say, we, we can't afford to allow them all to turn into, into woods. And that's sometimes a very difficult um, message to get over to people that actually we're cutting down trees and that's a good thing because most people have got it in their head. If I plant a tree, that's a positive thing and like you say it is in the right place um but it's not a blanket (laughs) it's not a blanket one size fits all Mm -hmm. and the other thing is um as dawn mentions as well is you know uh, we refer to things called biosecurity i have to be careful i i live um in the south downs um and work in the new forest i'm always traipsing over all different types of habitat and i could basically be be taking one lot of of um species so sort of diseases and things on even on my shoes um from the south downs down to the new forest and you know it's very common in streams and ponds where you've got you know sort of very small Mm. plants and and things and that like you say you have to be conscious of those things because it's impossible to kind of see the damage that you can be doing with those yeah everyone's talking about 
COP26, the end of the year, not many people mm-hmm. seem to realise there's a there's COP15 in May, which is the biodiversity one in China, which is mm-hmm. just as important, if not more, depending on what you've mm-hmm. just read and how worried you are about things. But the um, the last State of Nature report that came out in 2019 had some overall quite a negative picture. But I guess if you're if you're into certain birds, particularly migratory ones, there's there's one flip side is you might see them a bit earlier than you've seen, which is <laughs> is could be negative on the form that they might the food might not be there for when they turn up, and there's lots of issues around that. Um, but does it mean that we can see lots of cool birds now that we might not have been able to see on the twelfth of March? I had that down about kites. I keep seeing kites. This uh, you know, we're right down in the south, and uh, I always felt like we needed to travel a couple of miles, uh, a couple of hours before we started to see them. But today I saw them, and we quite often see one over the field that we rent for our work. Um, so yeah, it's following on Jay's question there. Are we going to see more? Again, one of the things that's quite hard to convey to people or even to get a handle on yourself is this concept of that that's a dynamic. We are part of a very dynamic system. Okay, we are mammals, we are animals, but we've built all of these kind of actual and societal structures to kind of divorce us from that. But things change all the time things happen all the time you know the coast particularly we've been talking about this at work a lot you know the coast is a dynamic place you know the fact that we've built you know proms and and piers and seawall defenses you know is our kind of vain attempt to to you know do what king canute was trying to do which is hold back the tide it's just never going to happen because they're mm-hmm. dynamic things so actually if you look at you know the uk is an island as well we might talk about invasive species, kind of what Dawn was just touching on, particularly with aquatic plants. So you definitely don't want to release kind of parrot feather from your you know, garden pond into our waterways. Um, you might have uh, non-native species. So they are species that have been brought here either intentionally or unintentionally. So we had a huge... Um, uh, number of Victorian plant hunters, for instance, you know, you go to, I suspect on rhododendrons, a real issue still in the forest, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So it's one of those things that got plant brought back from, you know, uh, China and places and planted in gardens. And then it was really nice. So people used it as a hedge and then it kind of escaped, you know, all that kind of stuff. Then you've got things that have been naturalized. And that includes things like uh, sycamore, Okay, so a tree that you might expect to see wandering through, you know, um, uh, the countryside, Um, but it hasn't always been here. It's been here long enough that it's now got its own little collection of things that live in and around it. Um, And then probably the one thing everyone knows about the Normans is they brought rabbits to Britain. Yeah, so if you look, you know, there's, there's, there's a constant shifting and changing of things coming either by our means or just naturally mm-hmm. um and that's one of the things about the phonology so that nature's calendar that i was mentioned uh, before we started uh, chatting this evening is a way of everybody just citizen science basically everybody recording those changes so jay picking up on what you're saying that things are happening earlier in the year um you know you can you can log in sign in to nature's calendar as part of the woodland trust um project and be part of a really massive 
citizen science project on when is the first time you see certain species of butterfly, when is the first time you see particular trees in bud, when is the first time you see your first autumn leaf, thinking about later in the year. So, you know, and, mm. and, and that gives us a huge, a really, really important picture on what is that change looking like because climate will definitely be having an impact on that, as well as other things such as, um, you know, habitat um, availability and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I've read articles where people are talking about birds migrating a bit earlier. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was looking at the state of nature thing. It talks about um, swallows arriving 15 days earlier than they did 60 years ago um, on average. Um, you know, I've just put a swift box up on our house. I've been, you know, been meaning to do it a very long time and Nat got one made by someone and we, we put it up the other day. But we've been putting loads of food out. And, you know, when you mentioned earlier about putting food out being a great way for people to connect with nature, if, if, we're, mm -hmm. if there's a concern that, you know, within a few generations of birds, climate's changed enough to shift them into coming earlier but the food might not be there it kind of mm -hmm. it's a whole another reason for people to go out and put food out and mm -hmm. particularly where we've had we've sort of warm patches and cold patches and warm patches it's the weather's kind of all over the place at the moment this year isn't it one of the things i come back to often is i grew up in the countryside but i now live in an urban place and actually we have 26 million gardens in the uk and they cover a huge amount of land and they could just be they could be really for some species the lifeline that keeps them here and and you know giving them the things that they need whilst we reevaluate how we use and manage and 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 um, look after our countryside um and i'm i i get more and more passionate passionate about it every year the fact that we can all do really simple things now i've been house hunting lately and i got quite depressed actually through the end of january and into february when i was looking at house after house after house that had complete decking or complete patio or artificial grass from one fence to the other now that isn't a judgment because people have the right to have a usable space of their own if that's their garden but I think we're missing out, you know, collectively, we're then missing out on the opportunities that One Gardens can give and actually just the sheer enjoyment and thrill and pleasure that we can get from having nature visit our gardens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my tiny little pond in a bowl, as you guys yeah. know all about, um, I get ridiculously excited about my pond snails, you know, <laughs> and my water hog lice because they're just they're just amazing. And I wouldn't have had them if I didn't put that little washing up bowl mm -hmm. with some stones and a couple of water plants in a semi shady spot in my garden. I wouldn't have those things to, to peer at and look at and keep checking if they're all right in the frost, all that kind of stuff, you know. So a lot of this stuff, I think a barrier is that it looks complicated or it looks costly. Or, you know, people think you've got to be like Monty Don style gardener <laughs> to be able to make it work. And actually, some really simple things, you know, get an old planter or a bucket or a trough and literally plant some nettles in it or allow some nettles to grow. Now, that sounds mad, doesn't it? Right. And I'm quite a tidy person. I try not to be a tidy gardener because I know that's not what the wildlife needs. If you can do that, you don't have to have a whole field of nettles. 
but you can have a couple of things and over 40 species of insects use nettles mm -hmm. as a food plant at various points in you know their life cycles that's amazing isn't it so a lot of this stuff can be done relatively simple it's just getting the message out there and 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 and, and providing that information to people I think that that bit about the tidy gardens is really important I think I um I can't remember but somebody told me about watching a program where I think it was my mum here she is again um <laughs> she was like <laughs> you know the garden that had been completely left there was a garden that had been sort of kind of maintained a little bit in bits and bobs and left uh, little areas and there was the other one that had been pruned to an inch of its life and which one was the best for wildlife and I think at the time I was like oh the one that's been completely left mum was yeah. like oh it's actually the one that had areas and bits and bobs so the, there's a bit of work to it but it doesn't have to be loads and my garden there it's now I didn't know I was doing this at the time but I just left the vine the vine to grow over the fence and I, I was like oh it kind of looks quite nice and I I'm not going to pull it all off um, the, the simple answer but it, they grow berries and uh, my neighbours feed the birds but I also see the birds in my garden and they're hanging off the vine and they're eating the berries um, and they're having and we've got a water feeder but we also uh, yeah really enjoy watching them hang off and we've got um, some birds nesting in the 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 trees as well that also where the vines are as well so cool. that's nice so do you think that kind of links to part of what it's kind of making dawn's problem worse in the forest that if because i you know dawn p doesn't want to judge people with their plastic grass but i do because i hate it um <laughs> and I, mean, I hate it i, I hate, hate it but it. i understand why yeah. people i understand why people might yeah. have it yeah and I, I and i get that and that yeah. is their choice i don't i don't think they should be able to buy it yeah so but i i i the fact that they've got that choice and they yeah. and they oh, do is it's horrible you know anyway um, you carry on. But, but you know if people are sort of creating these kind of barren gardens then you know their kids are only going to get excited when they get out in in the countryside and they're going to go running off after into the trees and things so i don't, I don't blame the kids for going off the beaten path but maybe if if people started to see more and have that at home it might mm. it might be a kind of the fact that it seems to be a trend it might be part of what's causing dawn more problems <laughs> that they're, they're not engaging in it at home and so it's only when they go out i don't okay. know we know that there's certain sort of ages and stages when connection to nature could be really powerful so when you're very little is great um that's literally all about hands-on touching feeling picking things up you know getting straight in there um and it's you know dawn already said didn't you about that that really pivotal memory that was probably when oh, you were yeah, quite babe. young wasn't it that you yeah. could remember that skylark's nest you know on the allotment yeah amazing so those kinds of things stay really stay with you um and it's not until actually children and young people are probably edging into secondary school that we want to start giving them very strong messages about the wider concerns about the environment and what they might be able to do because up until that point they don't have any autonomy they've got no way of decision making so they can't make any difference and actually it might switch them off and they might find that the environment and nature and outdoors is just scary it's too scary it's too big to think about it's too grim um so we'll go off and do something else instead so there's that um but it's also about 
uh, lack of green space. You know, and this is something I come back to all the time, is that actually in our towns and cities, uh, we have a massive lack of access to good quality public green space. You know, and by quality, I mean good for us and good for wildlife. Um, and that's only going to get, I think, a more pronounced issue, really. And that also ties in with um, access to other things, you know, is definitely to do with social demographic or where you might live or what community you might come from, how um, easily accessible a good quality green space is to you and your family. So that's something that really needs addressing. And that can only be addressed through mechanisms like the planning system yeah. and, you know, uh, you know, wider things. So it they're complicated problems to fix to a point but I think there's lots of quick and easy wins that we could probably make in our own spaces workplaces supermarket car parks um you know urban spaces community spaces just to make things better for wildlife school grounds for instance I think that's a big thing that we're going to be thinking about um and, and create little havens or at least create corridors and ways and places for wildlife to be able to move around and connect and, and to get what they need yeah to then once we sort ourselves out hopefully you know to then flourish and thrive again we're sort of heading towards unlocking again or whatever mm -hmm. phrase they want to use I've, i to be quite honest I've, I've got so much other stuff going on i haven't even paid attention to when i'm allowed to go out um <laughs> uh is that something you've had to kind of gear up for, Dawn, for the new forest? Is that something you're kind of thinking, oh, God, there's this mass wave happening. People aren't going to go on holiday. Yeah. You, <laughs> They're going to be camping. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, and across our team, there is a high level of anxiety. Um, worse than last year, because last year we didn't know what to expect. This year we do know what to expect. And sure. that's a, yeah. it's a bit of a double whammy, really, because um, I think there's sometimes a bit of a misunderstanding about actually what I can do as a ranger um, I don't want to stop people coming out to the new forest that have been cooped up you know that, that I have every sympathy that people need to get out they need to socialize they need their green space and all that and I don't want to be the fun police basically wagging my finger and saying no this is for this is for us <laughs> it's not for you yeah, yeah. at all but, um, and even if I did want to do that, if people just turn around and say, well, I'm here, what are you going to do about it? And all I can go is, I'll ask you nicely again, or I'll... <laughs> so, and that's yeah. that. So what we end up doing is getting a very, a lot of negative press that the rangers aren't doing enough. Um, and and that, mm. that actually, because I think most of our team, we, we're very much in the positive engagement not enforcement style of, of, of rangering and it's been quite difficult to do that stuff exactly what Dawn was saying about those little kids getting hold of things you know that's what we're normally out there doing is like here's all this nature stuff let's get involved and now we've been pushed into a oh can you not have a barbecue can you not do this can you not do that but so as organizations we have done a lot of planning but um I there's literally only so much we can do. And then it comes back to that individual responsibility. Again, it's not necessarily yeah. about us being out there in every car park enforcing what people can do. It's about trying to get those messages to people before they get to the new forest saying, yes, please come, um, but don't, don't bring your barbecues. If you're gonna bring your picnics, 
take your litter home you know why is it all right for you to bring bags of stuff but impossible for you to take it back home you know as soon as you take <laughs> as soon as you take food out of that plastic packaging why is that then something that you can no longer handle that is no longer you know yeah. all those things and and so it's those kind of messages because actually we do know that the environment to a point is resilient and and two summers of loads of people coming and verge parking and things yes it's negative but actually our wildlife can probably cope with two seasons of you know millions of visitors you know it, it's not ideal and actually probably it has more of an impact in many ways on on the individuals that are not used to sharing that space I mean it couldn't sustain that kind of thing and, and there will be short-term yeah. impacts but actually, um, a lot of it is just kind of managing that expectation, because what we do hope is that people will feel more connected to nature and will want to continue to come out. But what we need to start doing is, like, say, encouraging them to do that and, and what's appropriate. I mean, I was brought up with things like the Countryside Code and I was brought up in an outside environment mm. and kind of have some yeah. kind of sense about personal responsibility um and i think sometimes that that that's kind of that all you can do is appeal to one person to, to do something correct for them you can't you can't yeah. deal with a million people getting them to all to change you can only deal with individuals and you know that comes yeah. from picking up your own dog poo and not saying I was just going to mention poo. I was just going to mention poo. I know, I know Dawn's son talks about this and everything, but like me and Steve have been driving back from the Nude Forest before and we've seen somebody else with a poo bag hanging from their window wiper and we're like, woo, well done. Because you don't, you know, so what? There's not a bin. Pop it in a bag, or pop it in a, what are they called? Sticky, Sticky bag. bags. Yeah giving them a yeah. shout out um or just put it on your window wiper know. you know mm -hmm. if it's not raining you know get it home somehow because it is still your responsibility um and it changes the environment by leaving it, it there does. doesn't it and for all of the other gross things don't get me started on the well. it's a whole nother podcast, <laughs> <laughs> nother podcast. <laughs> it, it definitely is I always remember when um when Nat worked at the wildlife trust and, and on one of Dawn's reserves actually in in near us and there was one of Nat's dogs on reserves pick up the poo signs mm -hmm. and I was walking the dog mm -hmm. to go and meet Nat at, at Swan Oak HQ and someone had hung a dog poo bag on it <laughs> I took a picture and sent it to Nat I was it just yeah it made me laugh so much because it was the irony of it but you got a hope someone was coming back for that you know? yeah oh, yeah it made my day it was brilliant yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the um <laughs> I mean I've 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 kind of taken a mental note about a few things you said there Dawn you kind of I think there's there's um there's general people but then there's the kind of real keynotes is there I mean I really put you on the spot is there like a kind of 10 top things to kind of tips to do to not overwhelm the new forest this summer <laughs> so um top one like okay. 10 <laughs> obviously yeah no pressure i okay. want 10. I'm gonna try um, 10 but you know you've you've talked about um uh you know obviously picking up after yourself taking your litter home jay stop stealing the 10. no i'm just i'm, I'm trying not to be as mean <laughs> i don't want to be as mean yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah 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 this is in the text um you know you've talked about you know taking your litter home with you that kind of thing is there like 
times of the day that it's better to come when it's quieter or or so you're not parking on the verge or you know is there are there things that real key knows like certain days of the week certain times of the day certain places kind of are there things that you could say you know if you're really keen and you don't want to kind of overwhelm but you really want to come to new forest this is what you can kind of do to be the best you can be uh, yeah i think so i mean there are what we refer to as those those real honey pot sites um off the top of yeah. my head anderwood and rhinefield drive um uh boulderwood places like that that are quite well known that probably top of the google list the things to do in the in the new forest so if you google where you want to go in the new forest don't go to those places <laughs> right, that's a good tip go that's a solid Google's tip telling you to go there are something like 130 <laughs> car parks forestry england car parks in the new forest um probably 25 percent of those will be overwhelmed on a on a busy sunny day um, but the, the rest of them tend to be a lot quieter. So if you go somewhere and the car park is full, it's not going to be that much further before you can find an empty car park. So don't just go, yeah. everybody's here, I can't park, but it must be a great place, so I'm going to park on the verge. So that would be one top tip. Um, yeah. And like you say, if it's a really sunny day, the chances are everybody else will be doing the same as you. Um you, uh, it's hard to say don't come on a sunny day but <laughs> you know <laughs> but <laughs> but <don't. laughs> if you do come on a sunny day do expect to be stuck with you know hundreds if not thousands of other people also coming you know the infrastructure in terms of roads around the new forest isn't great so there's only sort of two three primary routes in and they, they will be jammed so <laughs> I'd, I'd I don't think that that's that's that mad, Dawn, because when you think like I don't go to the beach no. on the hottest day of the year. No, thank you. Mm. I don't want to spend I don't want to be cooped up with everybody. Well, I don't want to spend three hours on the motorway for a start. But like it's so it's not that mad to ask people to think perhaps like don't sort of all go flock in there on the best. Yeah. Day of the year. Yeah. And that I mean, that Rhinefield one as well. I last summer Nat was working at an event in the New Forest and I had to charge the van. So I went to Rhinefield House to charge up. And I couldn't get back out of Rhinefield Lane because there was people. It literally took me half an hour to get out of that small road because there were so many people parked everywhere. It was insane. Well, so. I got married there and um, oh. I know. Oh. I, sorry, part of the problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I totally, I know how difficult that place is to get to with the traffic and everything. So yeah, it, it, people just flock there. So we, although like there's been times when I'm like, oh, I'd love to go. Like, you know, when you just want to sort of rekindle that love and I'm like, let's go for a walk at Rhinefield. And then I'm like, no, let's go for a walk yeah, somewhere else. It's so, so even we don't it's so know. Difficult. Um, Although Valentine's Day would probably be all right with the bad weather, Corinne, <laughs> so to rekindle the love. You can go to the Rhine house there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. definitely. Um, the barbecue thing, that's, that's a massive thing in the new forest. Um, last year, we completely banned disposable barbecues. Um, and in the end, we actually tried to ban all barbecues uh, because you only need one out of hand barbecue to completely wipe out absolutely acres and acres or hectares of, of habitat. So, you know, one rogue um, 
uh, barbecue um, can do more damage than you know many other things. So no barbecues in the new forest. So that that's another top tip for the for the people that want to do do good. <laughs> and yeah, the picking up your dog poop that would be brilliant. That's um that's mm -hmm. a must thing. And taking it away, not picking it up and hanging it in a tree. Yeah. How are we doing? Sure. <laughs> no, you're getting How through it. You're getting through it. <laughs> what else? Oh, don't feed the ponies. So this isn't necessarily in yes. the same way an environmental thing, but it's it still all has that same kind of impact. And um, long term, it, it could well impact on the on the ecology of, of, of the new forest, because um, basically if commoners start losing ponies on a, a real regular basis because of the sheer numbers of people petting and feeding them um, and it just becomes a problem, you're going to get less commoners willing to put their stock mm. out there so you know when those signs you know uh, it's difficult because the people see the new forest pony as iconic it's like i'm going to the new forest to see the new forest pony and then we get there and say don't touch it don't feed it don't do that and <laughs> it, it is difficult but um yeah but that would be another lovely thing if people didn't feed the ponies or pet the ponies talking about <laughs> yeah go on corinne Talking about new forest ponies, me and Steve had this ridiculous conversation when we were like sort of dating and we went out for the, to the new forest for a walk and somebody asked if you could come back as an animal, what would you come back as? And I think I said eagle because of about flying and Steve said he wanted to come back as a new forest pony. <laughs> it just made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Just, was was like, there a particular reason? Was there? Was it? Was it just you know that they just look delicious? That they, he wants to be on postcards? Oh, I mean, what? What was I just, the reasoning? That's <laughs> so random. I I can't even I can't even remember because I didn't listen. I just laughed when he said he wanted to be a pony. I love it. Um, Not just a pony, but yeah. a new, new forest. forest. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did request there was a new forest. My God, yeah. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Um, I guess driving slow would be another one. Dawn. Yes, absolutely. Driving the way people drive through the new forest. Yeah. Or, or not driving. Not driving. You know, not it, driving. Yeah. Is it on the yeah. train? You get train. You know, train. And there's or, an open top bus it, uh, as well. There's a new forest tour, and that goes through all nice. the things. So you don't actually okay. have to. Um, you don't have to drive to all these places. Um, yeah, and it's got about two or three different routes. So yeah, driving mm -hmm. isn't the only way to get to the new forest. With well, so yeah, yeah. and because uh, obviously. Um, I can't remember which station. Is it Livington that's got the bike hire shop uh, next to the train station? That's Brockenhurst. Brockenhurst, yeah. Because yeah. um, I'm one of those annoying people who cycles around the New Forest and um, just I, apparently, we're really, apparently we're really annoying. Yeah. Um, but it's... If it, and I used to do it quite Everyone often. wants to see the pigs and the ponies, Joe. Yeah, they want to see my me in, in Lycra and my bum. Um <laughs> But it's um, no. yeah. I mean, we used to, we used to do it quite a bit. We used to ha we had like a 40, 40 kilometer route. We used to cycle into the new forest at kind of five in the morning. We had this group of us on a Wednesday morning. We used to cycle in, do a twenty kilometer loop, and then go back out again and go to work, um, mm. which is pretty bonkers. But um, and it was quite nice until the day I did it when they were setting up the new forest oh. show and we went down the main oh, road wow. and I got overtaken mm. by about 
400 lorries on one bit of road and it was horrible but um <laughs> it's oh, I, I love it I mean at least a couple of times a year I go and do a couple uh, you know just spend a day going around and it it yeah. feels pretty non-invasive way of seeing the forest but um is it am I allowed is that all right <laughs> Your cyclists um, are very welcome in New Forest, but they are supposed to stick to the cycle network or obviously roads. So um, it, the other thing, you know, the uh, another takeaway was the the keeping to the tracks, and that is walkers, um, yeah. cyclists keeping to the cycling network or roads. And also, you know, there are people that go there for recreational horse riding as well, and. Um, the, the rights of access in New Forest are quite weird and sort of horse riders and people on foot can pretty well go anywhere. But as I say, if, if those people can stick to those main tracks, but certainly in terms of the summer, the impact would be, would be much less. So yeah. Things like that is a really, yeah, top thing to do. And you, you said about the countryside code as well. I mean, I, I think I probably glanced it once. I think the main thing I always remember is how to walk on a road. <laughs> like a sensible person which mm. and and obviously when you go through um uh uh rights of way and stuff not you know just going around the outside of a field and not mm. cutting across and stuff yeah but i i'm always amazed how many people i see who walk not towards the traffic on small lanes and roads and things mm. and you just mm. think oh my god everyone should read the countryside code because it's got so much sensible yeah. advice definitely doing a big relaunch that's interesting because we, we always have a stack of, um, they do these lovely colourful bookmarks. It's got a really nice sort of stylized illustration on and just the mm. main points on the back. So I always, and they, they send them out for free. You just have to phone up the person in the office and they send you a big bunch for free. And we use those with um, like uniform groups. So our scouts and cubs and brownies and guides and stuff when they come to visit, we normally give them one of those each. Uh, at the end of the visit just they've got that as a reminder and I think it's just some really simple stuff in there isn't there about closing gates and you know picking up your litter and keeping your dog on a lead around livestock and that kind of stuff a um, couple of things I was going to ask you Dawn about um, wild camping because I guess that is probably is quite a big issue in the forest and then wild swimming whether that's been a thing um that you've noticed yeah so the wild camping um basically uh prior to covid <laughs> um the only groups that were allowed to wild camp were um dv groups there was a few um sites mm -hmm. um and then of course last year um, i mean there's an awful lot of campsites available on the on the forest but camping in the forest which was a sort of an offshoot of forestry england um own most of the large campsites on the new forest and they didn't reopen so we had a huge influx of wild campers last year just because yeah. the options to camp <laughs> wasn't there and they turned up from london with their things and you know and they were going to camp anyway so so yes so, so wild camping isn't technically allowed and um the forest England mm. rangers will be out <laughs> looking looking for that and again it's that, that for that same reason that you know it, you you talk to the individual and they don't necessarily see what the impact is um of mm. what they're doing but you know it's all you get the cumulative thing of, of fires and disposing of even um you know sort of people think of sort of like the human waste disposing of that when you when you're wild camping but mm. also yeah. you know in terms of the streams and 
and waterways in New Forest. They're some of the cleanest, or not necessarily cleanest in, in terms of, um, you know, uh, the, the, the very natural unpolluted um, sources of, yeah. of water. And even just people doing their washing up, even with things like, you know, your ecovers and or those quite positive mm. washing things, they're all, we don't want those things going into our waterways. Um, it, mm. it really unbalances it. So it's, it's not always the really obvious things of wild camping that causes a problem. In terms of wild swimming, it's not something I think that we've had a huge issue with. Um, I think because, possibly because okay. we're so close to the coast, there's the option for people yes. yeah. to, to, to go to the sea if they, if they want to do that. And actually we tend to have mostly sort of fairly small sort of streams and ponds. I think, They're yeah, the one well, site that mm. it's been an issue is a place called Hatchet Pond. And that we had a huge issue mm -hmm. with that and um, inflatables and, and the whole lot. And you had kayakers and things yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very localised. <laughs> and again, yeah. you know, it's just, again, it, it just can't cope. It's one of the, the, the sort of best habitats mm. in, in Europe, that, that pond. But it was also, again, mm. it comes down to managing organisations in terms of there's a toilet block there. There was a good car park there. There's an ice cream fan. So it is naturally going to attract people and, and Forestry England have Lots actually tried to change that infrastructure a bit to make it less mm. appealing as a place to stop and, and do all those things. So it's mm. not all about the individuals. Mm. It is about managing organisations as well, looking at it and thinking, actually, yeah. hang on, we're probably not helping the situation here. There are things we can do as well. I was just going to mention that you mentioned earlier about having your dog around on a lead around livestock and how I'd read a, an interesting study that even if you think your dog is off lead um, and they're not even going to touch or go near the livestock, um, that you could still be causing stress to those animals. So um, mm -hmm. pop your dog back on a lead, regardless if you're super confident. And I mean, you think you're 100% mm -hmm. confident just because you've got the lead with you anyway pop them on it until you're out of the way again and then let them back off it's just it's just yeah. no hassle is it for everyone and then those animals haven't got stressed by your presence whilst you're passing yeah. through can i add a little caveat to that yeah. go if you're in a situation where you're around cattle mm -hmm. and they start coming towards you and you have got your dog on a lead for your mm -hmm. safety in that situation, mm -hmm. you are best to, to drop the lead and let your dog off a, a lead yeah. if cattle start coming towards yeah. you. So mm -hmm. absolutely right, always start yeah. on, on the basis that your dog mm -hmm. should be on a lead. But um, yeah. quite often cattle can be a bit over curious and actually they're quite interested in mm -hmm. the dog and the dog is gonna get out of the way. Um, yeah. Sadly in the forest, you know, we have had a couple of incidents with, with cattle kind of trampling people <laughs> and things oh, with, no. with dogs. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm petrified of cattle. No. I'm so scared of them. I will like, I will walk a mile or two or five out, out of their way because just to avoid them. I think yeah. that's really sensible, you know, yeah. and, and something that we um, have to try and get across to people. Um, it's like exactly what you're saying, Corinne. It's like, oh, my dog's really great or, or, or all this, you know, my dog's come to the new forest and we do this walk every day. But you don't know if half an hour, three quarters of an hour beforehand, somebody with a really out of control dog has, has been walking in that area, stirred those cattle up and they're kind of pumped full of adrenaline and already stressed and much more likely to react. You don't know what has happened to those cattle. 
you know, before you get there. So you can't make assumptions that you're going to be fine and the cattle are fine. You've got, yeah, you've got to be responsible. So yeah, good point. Yeah. I had that discussion with someone when we were having a debate about giving um, ducks bread that mm. kind of rears up. And, you know, I basically, I sort of described it a bit like throwing Mars bars at children at school in the school playground. Mm. You know, you don't, that it's one Mars bar is fine, I'm sure, if it was a controlled environment. But you're talking about, um, you know, you don't know what they've just been fed beforehand. Mm. And if you just continually do that, you're just throwing junk food at, at mm. those ducks. And it's, you know, they're not, that's not what they naturally eat. So people just forget that things are wild, don't mm. they? I think I had uh, five, that conversation five times this week. <laughs> you know literally and what's brilliant is there's a there was a, a couple of I suspect mums with their very small children who were not happy about getting their wellies muddy it's very sweet the two tiny tiny tots they're just like oh, yeah. <laughs> oh look at those amazing wellies designed for the mud I don't want my wellies <laughs> to be muddy um this lady had like nearly a whole loaf of white bread in her hand so I took the opportunity and I said oh are you heading back down to the lake to to, to see the ducks and she'd actually um, said we we stopped at the ducks, you know, we stopped at the lake first before we came on our walk. And I read the sign, so so I've, I've, I'm carrying it around. We'll we'll take it back home. And uh, and I said, you know, yeah, small handful of oats, some frozen peas, or some sweet corn, you know, just a really tiny amount. Our ducks' tummies are really small, and then you'll get that that interaction of the little person to see the ducks and and get to know that. But we won't get fat ducks or uh, rats or all of the other problems that that feeding yeah. you know bread constantly to uh, to our ducks can can bring so yeah it's it's a drip feed approach i think dawn mentioned it you just got to keep individually haven't you just keep saying the same things and, and kind of giving the message but going back to the um countryside code thing i've been i'm from within the south downs national park um originally that's from over in Sussex and I've been following their social media pages quite avidly through lockdown and they've come up with a really nice phrase I think it's restraint responsibility and respect and I think without having to go into all of the nitty-gritty and nuance of all the things that you know we've been talking about I think if you keep those in your mind when you go out and about in any green space that's going to steer you on a you know a pretty yeah. good path really I thought that was quite a nice yeah. nice yeah. one um, I was thinking so <clears throat> I I realized that I, me and Nat aren't members or weren't members of the wildlife trust <gasps> and we used to be and we'd kind of dropped off for a while so I rejoined us a few months ago and we joined up with team wilder and Excellent. I now have a team wilder plaque out the front of our house and I put one down at, at the field that Nat runs. Lovely. And um, Dawn's probably seen it if she's been down there recently. Um, it's on the gate when you go in. So we're kind of wearing the badge on the sleeve there. But um, so obviously with the Wildlife Trust, you know, as a really keen person, we can provide financial support and to, to help those schemes. Are there things you can do financially to support the, the nature and some of the schemes you're doing, Dawn, in the New Forest? what's the best way if you're really keen yeah um I don't actually think that most of the organizations in the new forest um are sort of charitable in in that respect um 
So it's Forest England and uh, the New Forest National Park Authority, obviously, are both, you know, luckily government funded. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, things like the National Trust have pieces of land, so, you know, sort of funding towards organisations like like that's always, always welcome. I'm just trying to think if there is if there is a charitable so thing, maybe so. maybe kind of lobby councillors or mps and kind of say hey give them more money this is a big problem this <laughs> absolutely summer. that no, kind of seriously, thing we are yeah? currently waiting to hear about the the defra grant and we have a vacant ranger post yeah. at mm. the moment and despite everyone saying yes you know brilliant brilliant you know what we need is more people on the ground at the moment we're holding off recruitment because if the funding is cut and there's a vacant post that will be the first post to go rather than obviously making somebody redundant in another post so so yeah, yeah. you know it, it you know, the green spaces have been under more pressure that, than ever so now is not the time um and it's very difficult isn't it because we all know the, the the state of sort of you know that the, the debt that we We've, we've incurred because because of covid and, and you know that's fair enough yeah. um and there's a lot of demand for for that money but i think cutting cutting money to green spaces now would be um catastrophic really hmm. and very short term esther that's the other thing about anything to do with the countryside when you start to manage it love it look after it enjoy it you know these are long-term things aren't they it's it's long-term investment in 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 uh, those spaces yeah. and i think one of the exciting things about the whole rewilding movement is that that is um or can be in in the right places again quite a cost-effective way of providing you know refuge and connections for our for our wildlife between spaces it's not the answer everywhere but uh, i think that's quite exciting but you know it costs money to manage green space and it you know we i'm really missing our volunteers uh, yeah. back back to our volunteers again you know a lot of our volunteers come because they are keen on wildlife and they want to, a chance to get out and about and see it and help but actually a huge, huge driver for people volunteering is social. And, you know, social isolation is going to be, a, has, has been a really big thing, hasn't it, for, for people through, through COVID. And they've been literally <laughs> emails and calls every, every week. When are we coming back? When are we coming back? <laughs> um, because people feel not only do they want to be out and about helping wildlife, seeing it being immersed and being outdoors, they want to be with other like-minded people mm-hmm. as well, you know, and doing those things and feeling they make a difference. So, yeah, I think that's another way because actually we often talk about volunteering in, as if it doesn't cost anybody any money. Of course it does. It costs someone money to give up their time for free. So, you know, it's not um, it's not something that I, we ask lightly but, you know, just volunteering very, it doesn't have to be huge swathes of time, you know, just a small amount of time across a given year um, is really, really welcome. Or if you've got um, programs through your place of work, often you have, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, corporate social responsibility schemes, you know, that, that allow you to have volunteering days um, through your place of work, you know, see if you can push for, um joining an outside organization and, and getting stuck in to help us manage and look after our spaces 
so yeah that's that's another I guess, way i mean that's i think that's a really positive thing really that um there might be a lot of people who have been maybe a bit disheartened because they used to volunteer or they've thought about volunteering and they can't do anything because of lockdown mm. and and sort of hearing that there's organized you know both dawns work for different types of organizations and you know you've both got waiting lists and you're both desperate to kind of gear it up and kind of get people mm. in and, and when they do turn up it's not just going to be them it could be more people than they've ever had possibly um mm. i think that's really positive for people to kind of realize that that that's mm. there you know i've been, I've been desperate for lockdown to kind of lift so i can go out litter picking a bit more <laughs> but, it's, <laughs> but it's kind of um yeah they might be thinking oh well, i haven't done it for a year maybe it's not going to be the same mm. But, mm. you know, you've got your phone ringing all the time, like the bat phone, mm. literally, mm. Um, of people desperate to get out, which is really nice. Yeah, mm. We've um, launched a new Forest Ambassador scheme. Um, uh, yeah, oh, and cool. that was uh, basically uh, we, a huge number of people, let's say, understand the pressures in terms of just simple things like litter picking. And they're saying, look, just give us some litter pickers and some guidance and a high this thing and we'll, we'll go out and help with doing things and like you say they they'll they'll team up and do that and they can make a really big impact um get out socially mm. and really help like you say stretched resources um and spread mm. spread the word so yeah we're you know that, oh, that's, that's really, really positive. and that's really positive and kind of pulling it up to the kind of bigger level i guess because obviously um we talked about funding and resources and you know we we had the budget the other day which was bit weak um we had the there's a consultation that's just been launched about the environmental principles of the country which i think i saw a headline describing it as a chocolate fire guard um compared to the current environmental protections but on mm. a more positive sense the the um the climate and ecological emergency bill which is i think it's got over 100 mps already signed up to that um mm. feels like it's gathering a bit of a momentum to kind of bring all of the environmental emergencies and all of those ecological issues into the same sphere as the climate emergency discussion we were having and mm. and some and legislate for it possibly which would be really good and that will then hopefully lead to some funding to kind of support these kind of activities so um, mm. I kind of feel quite positive that that seems to be getting bigger and bigger and every time I look at it there's more MPs there's more people talking about it um, could be something quite big this year possibly hmm. i think um, i just want to say thank you uh for everyone for coming today because i think this has been my favorite podcast ever that we've done <laughs> and i did a little love heart oh <laughs> <laughs> um and there, there, there's just one thing i've lit up and making notes all night and I um, I just highlighted one of them that was because I think it's something that people could do at home. And that is that if you've got any moss growing in your garden, just to as long as it's not slippy and you're going to hurt yourself to leave the moss, because I, I learned that moss is actually a really great carbon sponge. Uh, actually, when mm. you think about it in comparison to trees, it actually is better. So um I, I learned that off of uh, the Chelsea Garden Show, which probably, you know, isn't the most environmentally friendly <laughs> thing in the world, but it did it did give out that information. So um, I I love moss growing on our walls. I, I think it looks great, um, but also knowing that it's helping and sucking up some of the carbon that we have too much of as well is just yeah. a 
Little bonus. Fantastic. So I, I had one last question, mm-hmm. which is that I sort of mentioned it just before we started recording, which I'm going to kind of put everyone on the spot, but it, it made me think today when I was listening to it on the, um, I was listening to the Sustainable podcast, which I don't know if anyone listens to, mm-hmm. but they kind of had a question thrown at them and I was driving along and I was thinking, hmm, what would I say? And it, so the question was, um, what do you say to people who say there's no point taking individual action on climate change? And you could kind of disperse that for ecological crisis or um, for that. Mm. But um, what would you say? What would be the kind of first thing? So I'm happy to start because I've been thinking about this, but <coughs> just a kind of one liner kind of thing. But it sounds like Dawn's, Dawn P is ready to kind of jump for that. <laughs> no not necessarily I'm, I'm thinking you're getting my thinking face <laughs> so I I mean I was thinking um about the connection of of how the impact it has on you I mean I think when you're talking about something that's so it's a it's a it's a slow incremental say slow slow in, in my individual lifetime slow but not slow in a kind of you know a global sense but um that feeling of um mental well-being improvement that i've had from doing things particularly if you know we're talking about people who know that climate change is a problem so there's there's probably a negative impact Uh on them from knowing that but feeling that they can't really do anything and i've certainly found that it's massively good for my mental well-being to to even just do a small thing in one day um so i think that's Uh what i would kind of say to someone is you know yeah it's a big thing you might not have a big impact but you can make yourself feel better by doing stuff and kind of try and focus mm. on that side of it I'll go second because that it, I sorry to ruin it but I'm gonna say the same as Jay um that that is that is me in a nutshell <laughs> like I will go through ebbs and flows of uh not not that word but you know I I can't be involved in it it's too much it makes me sad and then I will just be like doing nothing makes me feel worse so doing even the tiny things make me feel better so if you're not going to do it for anyone else do it for yourself is is kind of how I feel about it that's Mm. my personal experience about it yeah Okay, so my take on it then is linked to some of the plastic free stuff that I've been doing for a little while now. And it's about, you know, you don't know, just you doing that action may inspire others. So you might be able to talk about it on a platform like this or, you know, through social media or connect with friends and family. Or actually, you might just be seen by somebody doing something in the streets you know, whether that's reusing your shopping bag or a reusable coffee cup or, you know, putting your litter in a bin or a dog walker picking up their poop and taking it away. Um, so actually, I think you can have a sort of sphere of influence, um, both known and unknown, um, you know, and, and that's a really positive thing. So it's not just you because there will be a ripple effect in some way. Yeah. So, um, that's, so, that, that so that's my technique isn't it it's that I, I always love that video of the dancing guy where the guy dancing isn't the leader yes. the person who makes it normal is the leader and, yeah you know you going out there and doing it in everyday life is you're making that a normal activity and being a, a leader without even realizing so that's yeah. that's really lovely 
I like everything um, that you guys have said. I was definitely going to echo what, what Dawn was saying in the terms of, yeah, you know, uh, how do you expect anyone else to, you know, pe people very much will do what they see other people doing. Um, one of the things, I, I'm sorry to bring it around to dog poo, just because that seems to be my area of expertise. <laughs> but um, <yeah. laughs> one of the things that, that conservationists very traditionally did um, was to get spray paint and spray all the dog poo. Say, look at this problem. And I've done it with flags. I went out to a site that had a dog poo bin, mm -hmm. had 126 flags, we ran out of flags. And actually, in people's heads, that could quite easily say, well, actually, what's the point of me picking up? There's 126 yeah, poo. Yeah. And actually, what you're normal doing is normalising the bad behaviour. What we need to start to do is normalise yeah. what we want people to do because people will leap. So by you picking up, by me always being out and having my diggy bag on show yeah. and doing that, it's just like, oh, that's, that's what people do here. They, they pick up, not... That's yeah. what they do. They leave. Um, as part of that poo video I did, I, I actually legitimately picked up one of Cooper's morning poos, put it on my kitchen scales, clean in a container, in a poo bag, very <laughs> hygienic. But I weighed it and I basically said, OK, so this is, I, I can't remember, say 146 grams worth of poo. OK, what's 146 grams worth of poo if I leave that in the new forest? How about that twice a day? How about that seven days a week? How about that, you know, 365 mm -hmm. days a year? And then we were mm. starting to talk about 82, 87 kilograms of poo. Actually, if you saw 80 odd kilograms of dog poo in, in one site, then you'd be thinking to yourself, heck, what, what, why, mm. why have I done that? You know, 140 grams of poo, you might not yeah. think is, is that much, but um, it is breaking it down to, okay, you know, it, everything builds up and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, think it's I, I don't know about anyone else, but are we not going to finish on that? <laughs> well, on the 84 kilos of dog yeah. poo. I, I, yeah. I had in my head. Why not? I had in my head. Do you know the cigarette butt things where they do the voting stations where you put mm. a cigarette butt in? And I was thinking, what would it be like if you had a dog poo version yeah. of that where there's it's kind of got a clear perspex bit and you could kind of vote and and It'd be interesting Ooh. if there was a sign that said, you know, this bin was last emptied on this date, but it had mm. a voting thing. So you could see just the sheer amount, but it would also... There is some... Of... Um... Sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, no, don't. Uh, I've just, into my head has popped that street lights that are powered by mm. dog poop. Yeah. yeah Where have I seen niche. that? It yeah. was on a big mountain somewhere. Mm. The, there was a guy trying to... Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Sorry, Jay, that just, just no, no, I th cut you off completely. It's a good idea isn't it? So, but, um, so, yeah, so 80-odd kilos of poo. And I feel really bad about having five dogs and one of them who probably has 85 kilos of poo per week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you pick it up. So that is the positive note to end on, isn't it? Is that you are an ambassador for picking up your dog poo, you know, through the work that you and Nat do and, you know, Corinne and Steve, Dawn, you know, you're, you're ambassadors for just normalising picking up your poop and yeah. taking it away. And that's, in, that's what we want. In plant-based bags, if you can yeah, as well. We do. Adios. We have, we have plant-based poo at the moment as well because our dogs have, have, have made the move. pretty much living a vegan life wow which is yeah the poo's actually nicer 
It almost looks like a cow pat in a <laughs> shape. It's so much more pleasant. I love so that some people pleasant. might just not be even dog people at all, and it's going to be like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about nature. It's exactly. all about saving the planet. Yeah. Sometimes a bit of poo yeah. is involved. That's exactly. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Oh, that was really it's nice. Lovely to chat. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks for coming, Dawn, and other Dawn, Great. and Dawny J. You're welcome. <laughs> Dawny J. Dawny C. I've got a fox outside my door window oh, at the moment. Oh, fantastic. From our thing. I can hear a little crunching. Sorry, no. Dawn. I, oh, massive, oh, you carry on. It's, it's huge, amazing. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wildlife <laughs> Tourette's that I, I can hear crunching. Fantastic. And I just looked out the window and he's just, he's sat, or she oh. is sat crunching out of the bowl of food. Sorry. Sorry, right. that's a no, carry on. wildlife Tourette's. Um, it's a great thing to, to bring into our spring, spring <laughs> podcast.